0: Amen. Amen. Sister Watkins was right a moment ago when she said in response to the words, Give me Jesus, that's all that matters. Hmm. Give me Jesus. Matthew chapter 10 is where we find ourselves this Lord's Day morning as we continue our working our way through of the gospel penned by Matthew, one of our Lord's disciples. Matthew chapter 10, this morning, verses 2, 3, and 4, are the focus of our attention, our study, our exposition uh, for uh, our enlightenment as God the Holy Spirit helps us to know his mind and will through his truth that is presented here in these verses. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. I'm using as a subject for these verses to hang our thoughts, identifying the spiritual harvesters, identifying the spiritual harvesters. Jesus does not make cookie-cutter Christians. We have different personalities, backgrounds, experiences, and interests. Even when Christians have the same spiritual gift, it is unique to them and is expressed differently in their ministry in the body of Christ. So it was with our Lord's original disciples. Uh, They possess different temperaments skills, experiences, and they had different strengths and weaknesses. MacArthur writes, When considered together, the twelve apostles are a very complex and interesting group. There is at least one of every imaginable personality, end of quote. These diverse men were our Lord's first spiritual harvesters. Men whom he empowered, uh, taught, authorized to enter the harvest field of humanity to reap souls unto salvation by means of the gospel. Souls who otherwise were headed to the harvest of divine judgment. Well, who are these men? They're identified for us in verses 2, 3, and 4. Identifying the workers by name is our first heading, which will cover these verses 2, 3, and 4. There are 12 of them. This number is not arbitrary, it seems. Probably the number is uh, 10 is in reference to... And associated with the 12 tribes of Israel. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus promised that they would judge the 12 tribes of Israel. So apparently this number of 12 it correlates with that text in Matthew nineteen twenty-eight. When would they do this? In the regeneration, Jesus said. That is, in the millennial kingdom, when he comes back to rule on this earth, these men, excluding Judas, of course, will rule with the Lord Jesus Christ over the 12 tribes of Israel in in the nation Israel, in a reconstituted earth, in a place where there will be peace and righteousness. Our world's broken, isn't it? It is a mess. But I want to give you this. This is not part of the message to this morning. But I'm gonna just tell you right now: God has a better plan in store. Jesus comes. So if you've got your hopes pinned on anything or anybody else other than Jesus, you've got your hopes pinned on the wrong person or the wrong thing or the wrong cause. Only the Son of God's going to fix this mess. And he is going to fix it when he returns in glory and power with the holy angels, the angels of the Father. So we're looking forward to him coming back. Amen. But <laughs> before we get there and before they got there, if the present, their present, they had a different task. These men in verse one are called disciples. Mathetes, a word in Greek mathetes, means a learner, it means a follower. In verse two, you'll notice they're called apostles. An apostle I don't believe Matthew is referring to the office at this point. I think he is talking about their function. It means sent one, apostle does sent on a mission. They are sent on a mission of harvesting, which I mentioned just a little bit ago. And may I, may I interject this? There is no greater purpose in the world than going and trying to reach lost men with the gospel of Christ. Think about it. What is more important than one soul? What is more important than harvesting a person and delivering them by means of their belief in the gospel for the coming judgment from God on them? There is nothing that supersedes that in significance. The reality is, we are a people who will live in eternity. We'll live either in heaven or in hell. And so the real issue, and Jesus points it out, and is inescapable in the New Testament, there is nothing that is of greater significance than bringing men from the judgment harvest to the harvest of salvation. And he sends his men there. Now, let me say something else about these men. These men were not perfect men. At this point in their discipleship, they were not a finished product. The Lord had more work to do in their lives. They had not yet arrived. But yet he's sending them in their training on a mission. You have that same problem. You're not a finished product. Go and tell the truth, shame the devil. You, you, You know that's true. We're not a finished product, but God can use us and does use us as he continues to train us and mature us and shape us these men had not arrived they were not all that he intended them to be but he would use them as they were even as he does for us now the first name in the list you see in in the new testament acts as well now of course i need to say something about this word first first would be unnecessary simply to mark the beginning of a list obviously if he's there at the beginning he's first but that's not what matthew means when he calls matthew or simon first he indicates simon's leadership and his prominence among the disciples that's what first means and the text further says who is called peter He was given the name Peter by Jesus, according to John chapter 1, verse 42. The word Peter comes from Aramaic root into the Greek, Petros, and it means rock man. At this point of his naming by Jesus, Peter was no rock man. At this point, when he met Jesus, Peter was brash. He was vacillating. He was undependable. He was fickle. He was impulsive. All of those things. So Jesus wasn't saying what he was, but what he would become by the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you spend time with Jesus, you're not going to be the same after a while. You can't spend time walking with him, reading his word and getting to know him and be the same person you were when you initially met him. So what Jesus was doing in renaming him, he was really in effect prophesying what Jesus would make of him. Now, I I alluded to it already and let me say it again. So it is with Christians. From the moment of salvation, Jesus Christ began his work in you. He began his work in me. He teaches us. He sanctifies us. He equips us. He does it by the word of God, which works in those who believe. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He does it by the Holy Spirit. As we in the word of God, the Holy Spirit changes us into the image of Jesus from one level of glory to the other. By the spiritual ministry of the spiritual gifts given to members of the body of Christ as they exercise their spiritual gifts in our life, God, the Holy Spirit, and Christ uses them to make us more like Christ. It's an ongoing work. What he has done, he has taken the raw material of what we were when we came to him and he is refining us. The raw material of Peter's life and his leadership ability would be refined and honed by Jesus' ministry in Peter's life. Eventually, Peter would live up to his new name. He'd become the rock man. I'm surprised somebody hadn't gotten a t shirt with that on it. Peter's leadership qualities are evident in the gospel the raw material of them. When you see Peter at work, he's always closely following Jesus. He was very inquisitive. Anything he didn't understand, whenever Jesus would talk about something, Peter didn't quite get it. He would say, Lord, uh, tell us about this. One time, you recall, uh, uh, Jesus talked about a man who couldn't give up his wealth to follow Christ. And Peter said, but Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. What do we get? Peter spoke up. Peter was a man who got personally involved. Remember Jesus walking on water during the night. And Peter said, Lord, is that you? And he said, if it's you, Lord, bid me come. Now, Peter hadn't thought one whit about the waves and walking on water. He'd never done that before. There was no class walking on water one-on-one. But he just saw Jesus and he wanted to be where Jesus was it said, bid me come and jesus said come and peter walked over he got personally involved throughout the gospels we see what peter was we we see the making of a significant leader for christ back to that word first here in verse 2 d.a. carson suggests that first means first among equals In other words, Peter wasn't over them. He just had the leadership ability that enabled him to be their leader. Further, what this means is Peter was not the first pope. Now, come on, Bible believers. He is not the first pope. In fact, the New Testament nowhere hints at the idea of a papacy. There's no such role in the Bible. There is no such thing as a pope, no vicar of Christ over all the church. No, that's false teaching. Peter himself never referred to him as a pope. and He had the opportunity because in his first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, he calls himself a fellow elder. That to me is significant. He had the opportunity to say, well, here I'm Peter, you know, I am the pope. No, no, no. He said, I am a fellow elder. He aligned himself with the elders in the church. An elder is just another name for pastor, and the elder signifies one who is spiritually mature. Peter saw himself. Yes, he was an apostle. Yes, he was an original twelve. Yes, he was the leader of the group, but he saw himself as a fellow pastor with other pastors. Now, Peter, like all God's men, had flaws. Failures, even after Pentecost. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, Peter acted contrarily to the gospel. When, uh, before the Judaizers got there, those who were teaching a false gospel, who were saying that you have to not only believe in Christ but to be sac- uh, circumcised, Peter would hang with the Gentile believers. But when the Judaizers, the false teachers, got to town, Peter would withdraw, quit fellowshipping with them. Paul said he stood condemned because that undercut the grace of the gospel. There is nothing you have to do other than trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's all about grace. And so the apostle Paul confronted the apostle Peter and told him he wasn't living according to the truth of the gospel and Peter evidently repented he understood he was wrong he knew he was wrong and even later Paul uh, Peter didn't res- uh, um, he didn't resent him because in Second Peter chapter 3 verse 15 called Paul our beloved brother can you be corrected and not resent your fellow believer who helps you get back on track Hmm. can you be told no no brother that's wrong that's inconsistent with the word no no sister that's inconsistent with the word you're not living according to it can you be corrected and not resent but love your brother or sister who would help you live consistently with the word Peter did Next man on the list is Andrew. Next man, he was Simon Peter's brother. He brought Peter to Christ, telling Peter that we have found the Messiah. John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. Archbishop Temple remarked about this. uh, Andrew bringing Peter to uh, Christ. He says this, quote, Perhaps it is as great a service to the church as ever any man ever did. End of quote bringing Peter to the Lord Jesus Christ. Each time we meet Andrew in the New Testament the Gospel of John in particular, he is bringing someone to Christ. Peter, his brother, was outgoing. He was a leader. Andrew was a quiet inconspicuous man. One does not have to be the center of attention to be used effectively in the church or in the kingdom of heaven. By God, you can quietly go about uh, in obscurity, basically doing what Christ called you to do, exhibiting your love for him by obeying him without ever being a marquee person. You don't have to be a headliner to be used by the Lord. There are multitudes of Christians who are not headliners. They're not marquee. Their names will never be known widely, but they're faithful to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ knows it too. He sees you. You do not have to be like another brother or sister to, be, to faithfully serve Christ. Just avail yourself to him with the personality and the gift he has given you. And serve him with what you are and who you are. Well, we move on from this first pair of brothers, Peter and Andrew, the second pair of brothers here in verse 2, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Along with Peter, these two brothers were in the inner circle of Christ. They were the closest to Christ, the intimates of Christ. They were with Jesus during momentous occasions in our Lord's life. For example, when Jesus raised Jairus's daughter from the dead, these three were there. They were with our Lord. They witnessed the transfiguration of Christ um, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 and following. In fact, these three were with Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane when he was in the travail of his soul, facing bearing the weight of the sin of all who would believe on him and the horror of all of that. They were there with him to be in prayer and encouragement. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 and following. These inner circle guys, James and John along with Peter. But James and John, their dad, Zebedee, owned the business, the fishing business. I think maybe we could say it was Zebedee and sons. <laughs> I don't know that for a fact, but, you know, Zebedee, say, these are my boys, James and John. In fact, they were successful and they were wealthy enough to employ someone else, according to Mark chapter 1, verse 20. So these guys were doing pretty well. But they surrendered all of that. To follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Who were they like? Jesus called them. Sons of thunder. In Mark 3 verse 17. Why? Because these brothers. Were hot headed. And reckless. You recall the incident. Don't you? Jesus wanted to go through Samaria. And wanted to arrange. Going through there, and the Samaritans, ah, uh-uh. you're not coming through our place. And James and John said, "We, right, we have a solution, Lord. We can mimic Elijah. You want to just call some fire down from heaven and burn them up?" No, 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 no. That's not what you do. Not only that, they wanted places of prominence for themselves in the kingdom, even their mother's. Salome went to Jesus and said when you come into your kingdom put put one of my boys on your right and one of my boys on your left by the way you want to know how you you can be great in the kingdom serve that's the way James the son of Zebedee this brother of John became the first of the twelve to be killed for the faith Acts chapter 12 verse 2 His brother John, however, lived to be an old man. He lived long enough to write not only the Gospel of John, but he also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote Revelation. In fact, he wrote Revelation from the Isle of Patmos, to which he had been exiled by the Roman emperor for preaching the gospel persecuted for the word of God. He was at that time in his 90s and he was set out, on, set out on this island and it was difficult for a man his age. But God gave him the book of Revelation. John, by the grace of Christ, at work in his life, became known as the apostle of love. Think about that. He went from a fiery, passionate, let's burn them up. (laughs) Come on, let's incinerate them to loving people, becoming known as the apostle of love. You read in his epistles or letters, 1 John chapter 2 verse 10, 1 John chapter 3 verse 10 through 24, 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 through 14, the same book for chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, and 2 John verse 5, you'll see his emphasis on love, love, we're to love one another, and love and truth went together. Christ changed a man's life. He's telling people love one, telling the body love one another. So it is with us. By the way, the more you get to know Christ, the more you're shaped in His likeness by the work of the Word, or the work of the Holy Spirit, you will love. You will love the children of God. It comes supernaturally when you came to Christ, but it grows, it develops, and you'll love more and more. That's an inevitable fruit of knowing Him. Love. Andrew, John, Peter, and presumably James all found Jesus either directly or indirectly through the ministry of John the Baptist. Philip, he's our next one, verse 3, has the distinction of being the first disciple whom Jesus sought out. John chapter 1, verse 43. It seems that before Jesus called him, however, he had been studying the Scripture. John chapter 1, verse 45. The law and the prophets. He had been looking into it, looking into it. And the reason he was doing that is because God the Father was drawing him. John chapter 6, verse 44. And we learn something about Philip from incident in which he spoke up and was involved in before Jesus fed the 5,000. I, I think this is right. John chapter 6. Y'all, y'all want to go there? Okay. John chapter 6. Jesus is going to feed 5,000 people. You know, they didn't have uh, catering service. No Chick-fil-A. They did end up having fish. No chicken. John chapter 6, verse 5. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, he said to Philip, Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to, get this, test him. For he himself, Jesus, knew what he was intending to do. If Philip said uh, to him, uh, 200 denarii, eight months worth of uh, salary. A Bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. He said, wait, 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 whoa. Here's the deal. Philip was a bean counter. He said, we can't uh, do this. We ha- don't have sufficient funds. But the text tells us when Jesus asking what he was going to do, obviously he wasn't asking Philip what to do because he didn't need the input from Philip. He had already knew what he was going to do. And the text says he was saying this to test him. was Jesus doing in this test he was using the occasion to strengthen Philip's faith and by extension the faith of the rest of the disciples he wanted to strengthen their faith in himself so it is with us and our trials things which we have no way of solving but the Lord brings them into our life to strengthen our faith in him that's why we have the test He wants to teach us that he is the all-sufficient one. He is able to meet your need, no matter how difficult it may seem. He said, I want you to trust me. He is building your faith. He's strengthening your faith. That's why it says in James 1, Count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into various trials. For the child of God, God is at work in your life for your spiritual prophet. So Philip had to learn. There's another another man as we continue on here. It's Bartholomew. 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 He's one of these men that uh, you don't ever think about. When's the last time you were thinking about did Bartholomew do when he was following he, he's Bartholomew he was an obscure man in his gospel he uses the name John does Nathaniel this is how you'd know Bartholomew by his other name Bartholomew's first name was Nathaniel we would call him Nathaniel Bartholomew he held um, Nazareth in uh, low regard. He said, what good thing could come out of Nazareth? Boy, did he not know <laughs> what he was saying. The best thing ever came out of Nazareth, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus' omniscient, he was present. He knew all the needed to be known about Nathaniel. He knew about his character, what was in his heart. He knew that in him there was no deceit. That's what he said to Nathaniel, An Israelite, indeed, there's no deceit. Alethos is the, the word in Greek. Alethos, that adverb meaning truly, it means genuinely. Israelites in Jesus' day were not real. They were phonies. Nathaniel's devotion to God was genuine. He was the real deal. Jesus knew it because he knew his heart. He knew his character. So he called him. In. The next man in the list, verse 3, is Thomas. He's called Didymus in John chapter 11, verse 16, the twin. Everybody knows Thomas because everybody's heard about him. and People in the world even talk about someone who is doubting a doubting Thomas. but he had profound love for Christ. He was courageous. He had even said, let's go and die with Christ. John chapter 11, verse 16. But his great confession of faith was in John chapter 20 when he said, my Lord and my God, when he saw the resurrected Christ and saw the nail prints in his hand and in his side. Next man in the list is Matthew. Matthew, the tax collector. Now, this is fascinating. Matthew's writing this. And he calls himself the tax collector. When Matthew wrote that, he understood that at that time he wrote just like it was when he was an actual tax collector, that they were the tax collectors, were unprincipled and despicable people. They were hated by his fellow Jews, they had no use for them because they worked for the Roman government. But we see Matthew says, Matthew the tax collector at this point he was no longer a tax collector but the reason Matthew designates himself the tax collector here is this it was his humble acknowledgement of God's grace to him all of us were something weren't we all of us had something in the past and, but what did the Lord do in his grace he delivered us delivered us from it Matthew this man knew the Old Testament quite well he quotes the Old Testament more than 99 times that is more than Mark Luke and John combined he knew the Old Testament You notice we go through the Old Testament we see him quoting it we see him talking about fulfilled prophecy we see that constantly the next man in the list son of Alphaeus that word Alpheus, that name distinguishes him from James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Matthew's father was Alphaeus. Mark chapter 2, verse 14. Perhaps this means that Matthew and this James were brothers. And if that were so, this is a third pair of brothers. Now, I'm not dogmatic about that. I say it could mean that. Thaddeus is probably the one who is called uh, here the next man in our, our list, the final one in verse 3 Thaddeus he is called Judas in John fourteen twenty two, not Iscariot we don't know very much about him another obscure disciple and here uh, in verse 4 Simon the zealot let me explain something about this guy Simon and zealot. Zealots were militant violent outlaws they believed they were doing God's work by assassinating Roman soldiers political leaders and anyone else who opposed them that's what he was he was a sicari, a dagger man suggesting take a dagger and stick him in the side or wherever else to put them to death this is who this guy Simon was In fact, he, along with Judas Iscariot, probably began to follow Jesus because of political reasons. They were thinking, this man's Messiah, boy, look at him and his power. What we could do to overthrow the Roman government? Let's sign up with him and follow him. Somewhere along the way, Simon came to genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was no longer a zealot, no longer assassinating people. He was transformed by the grace of Christ. The last man in the list is the one everybody knows Judas the one who betrayed him he never came to faith in Christ he had the same opportunities exposed to the brilliance of Christ words his powerful miracles but he sold him for 30 pieces of silver and in Really, it wasn't Christ so much he sold, he sold himself. What's fascinating too about this group you have a man named Matthew who worked for the Roman government, and you have a man named Simon who was called the Zealot who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. But Jesus, in his majesty, his might, and his love, and his grace to put these guys together with the rest and use them for a higher purpose to serve him and the kingdom he took these men from different backgrounds and temperaments and used them for eternal purposes to win men and women to Jesus Christ let me tell you as I conclude he can use you too but remember these disciples trusted Jesus and obeyed him. To be used by Christ, you must do the same. And as you do, he will use you too. For the glory of God and Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's bow together and let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the truths that are here in your word we see ourselves in some degree or manner in these men we're like them you take people their flaws you save them you train them use them for your glory and your honor thank you for doing that for us thank you for allowing us a place in your kingdom in your church to advance your cause we pray for the ones here in this place who are without Christ we pray you open their eyes may they become numbered among those who are the redeemed and not like Judas. who Refused salvation. and As the Bible says, went to his own place. We pray for those who are saved and need a church home. They will join with us this day as well. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.